Thanks, Luke. Not a youth, but he dresses cool, right? I was going to say he dresses like a youth, but I thought that that's not right. Not kind. Well, very good morning to all of you, and uh, we have a, a youth service here. Good morning to the youth. Uh, out of curiosity, who here in the audience is, uh, let's see, let's do uh, 13 to 17. Where's our 13 to 17-year-olds? A few, okay. Where's our 18 to 25-year-olds? 18 to 25 here, okay. So you're kind of the youth and young adults uh, in, the, in, the, in the audience, uh, and then uh, we have everybody else. And my goal this morning uh, is, is a couple of things. I want, I want to address uh, both of those audiences as we work this through. Just a quick introduction. Most of you know uh, I'm Steve Archibald. Uh, I've been involved in children, youth, and young adult ministry uh, most of my life uh, from the time... Uh, I finished university, Uh, my wife and I moved up to Halliburton, and I've been involved at Mediba, and also been involved in church ministry uh, all that time. And at Mediba, our mission is to challenge young people to continually say yes to God. And our broader mission is bigger than that. We use adventure and community, and of course, God's word. Uh, But our goal is to focus in on children, youth, and young adults and challenge them to continually say yes to God. And so what's going on in the lives of children, youth, and young adults is something that we think about and talk about and try and understand somewhat as a ministry and then try and have some impact uh, on that, try and bring some, some scriptural truth to that uh, and uh, hopefully see people make, make some decisions in that way. Um, Trying to uh, highlight just a few things that we're kind of seeing out in our culture this morning. Obviously, this is an exhaustive topic. Uh, and uh, our culture is always shifting and morphing. And it, and it is one that's sometimes hard to, to specifically get our hands or our arms around. Uh, but I'm just going to look at a few key things. But trying to understand what's going on sociologically, what's happening mentally you know, in our youth and so on, culturally, spiritually, all of that's kind of part of what we're trying to understand and then speak into. And uh, I did a I did a little talk at the men's breakfast uh, on this uh, at the end of last year, and and then uh, Paul asked when I when a youth service was coming up, maybe we could address this. And so at the men's breakfast, I was specifically talking to the men, the adults, and saying, look. We've got a responsibility here as we look and see what's happening in youth culture as parents and influencers and grandparents and so on to, you know, be aware and how can we, how can we step into that, how can we speak into that, how can we live in that uh, and so on. So that's, that's sort of where this is coming from a little bit. Um, some of the ideas, I, I do need to give some credit. One of the books that I read was this called The Coddling of the American Mind and it's taking a look at university students seeing what we're seeing in their culture and then trying to go backwards and say how did how did we get here what happened what what is the cultural impact on that so not just a few thoughts from that obviously we're going to be uh, looking at this book too more important than that book and so we're going to take a look at this and then of course there's things I'm just going to share that aren't in there that uh, yeah I see as we look out in our youth culture so my first goal is to highlight a few issues, some, some flawed thinking, some various topics. There's just four this morning. And hopefully bring some awareness to the young and the youth uh, and sort of what's happening and what's going on. Uh, and then hopefully also address um, the rest of us. And whether you are a grandparent or a parent or you work in youth ministry, uh, it does, that doesn't matter. All of us... All of us have an influence on youth, either directly or indirectly as, as Christians, as the church, as people who live in this community. Because these young people aren't just looking to their parents. They're not just looking to our youth leaders or our school teachers or, and so on. They're looking at all of society. They're looking at all of the adults in our church and saying, 
Is this real? Is, is what Scripture teaches and that my mom and dad are telling me, am I seeing that really lived out in everybody else who claims to follow what Christ teaches? And how we behave on Facebook or, or some of these social media formats or whatever, children and youth and young adults, they're all seeing that. They're all, they're all seeing the, these posts that we do. So whether you're directly involved That's great, but all of us are at least indirectly involved, if not directly involved, because we represent Christ. We represent the church. We represent what we say is good and right and true. And young people are looking around. They hear it, but they want to see it. Is this really true, what we say and proclaim? So, those are our two kind of audiences. That's my uh, first goal. My second goal is that every one of us in the room leaves here with a takeaway. Something you say, you know what, I heard this and I'm going to commit to do that or start practicing that or start thinking about that or maybe if you're a parent, we're going to start addressing that in our home or something or I don't know what it is. But I've got, I'm, I'm going to like fire hose you with all kinds of thoughts and ideas this morning and hopefully one, one will stick with you. And so the, the, the challenge as well is that as you go home today and for all you young and youth and young adults, you can ask your parents, so what's your one thing? Mom, dad, grandma, granddad, what's your one thing? But be ready because they're going to ask you the same thing. What's your one thing? Okay, so that's kind of goal one, information, disclose what's going on a little bit. Number two, everybody's got a little takeaway to take with them. So think about that. All right, let me pray. Father, as we uh, just try to unpack a little bit of what we see in our culture, uh, Father, and and the things that we talk about this morning, we just pray your your spirit would uh, impact each one of us as we have need to hear. And, uh, Father, we just pray that we would hear these things as you intend for us, Father. None of this is meant to be guilt or, or threats or anything like that. It's just trying to understand what we're seeing and how do, we, how do we address that? What does Scripture teach us? And so we look forward to what you have for each one of us, and may you make it very personal to each one of us this morning, and that we find that one takeaway. And may we be encouraged this morning as we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so again, I'm just going to present four sort of flawed thinking ideas that are out there. Uh, I'm going to introduce them to you, and then I'm going to do, okay, what's some scripture verses, and then what are some, what are some, you know, kind of responses that we might both have, youth and adults, and then maybe some things that are specific to youth and specific to adults, okay? So that's how it's going to look. That's the framework of what we're doing. So let's introduce the ideas. First one. The first one is fragility. What? What is that? This is the idea that we must protect children from absolutely everything. Youth, children, we're in full protection mode, okay? And we're seeing, we've seen this in our society for quite some time. You've heard about helicopter parenting. You've heard about, I don't know, there's all these different phrases that are out there. But we're so protection-minded in how we've been raising children and youth for the last decade or two. And that's having an impact as they become adults. And so some of those things that we're seeing is that key development events and opportunities just don't exist in their lives anymore because we have protected them or we have not even allowed them to experience those things. We've kind of created, not on purpose, but we've kind of created an environment of fear and untrust. We start to see youth rebelling. It's like, whoa, why can't I do anything, go anywhere? You know, like, so youth push back against that, right? Like, come on, mom, dad, give me a break. Let me do what stuff, right? This results in immaturity. And we've all heard of the, the adulting process and what, where we see that people aren't adulting well. Or I'm not even sure. If, I guess that's maybe a real word now, but we kind of use it. But we have undeveloped 
young people, we have undeveloped young adults who just aren't ready for life, aren't ready to move forward. And uh, we see our youth and young adults are uh, struggling with unfounded fear and anxiety. Okay, so that's one. Second one, emotional reasoning. Flawed thinking, number two, always trust your feelings. You know the my truth, your truth statement? Who's heard that before? My truth, your truth, okay. This idea that truth is relative, that truth is kind of whatever you want it to be, um, these aren't truth, these are opinions, right? And opinions are not always truth, all right? This idea that I feel it, so it must be true. Whatever I feel must be true. And not only that, we never call our feelings into question. We don't test them. We just, oh, this is how I feel, so, and then we react. And we do or don't do things based on that. And we see in our culture right now, not just in youth, but all culture, Really no objective truth. No desire to understand what really is true and right. And no real desire to even seek that out or figure out if the things that we hear, whether they actually really are true and right. So we hear all this stuff, but we don't even, and we don't even make the effort to sort that out. We don't need any supporting facts or evidence. We feel it, so we do it or don't do it. Number three, us versus them. We see in our culture, particularly in our young adult culture, uh, if any of you are in university right now or are aware of what's happening on a lot of university campuses and so on, we have very much an us versus them. And you can pick a topic, you can pick any topic, and we see this, this idea, this construct that it's, it's like good versus evil, and I've got to, I've, I'm good, now I've got to declare that that's bad, evil, whatever, and then I've got to sort of go up against that. And it's true that there is good and evil, but one of the challenges that we're seeing is, is that it's very much directed at individuals. Not what they believe, not what their opinions are, but at them directly as a person. And that's a real challenge that we're seeing. We don't agree, so therefore you're the enemy. It goes from a difference of opinions and difference in beliefs to you're bad. You're the enemy. Maybe you've heard the statement, oh, they're not like us. Right? Oh, they're, they're not like us. And so we see distrust. And we see this idea that we're to not ever interact with those people or we're to, they're the enemy or they're something to go up against. This idea of us versus them creates polarization, right? Very much, oh, you're over there, I'm over here. And there's a vast difference between us. In the end, we teach discrimination. And inadvertently, we even teach hate. We don't do this on purpose, but... This kind of thing happens. And then we start to understand why there's this victimization mentality. Oh, I'm the victim. I'm the, everybody's against me. It's, it's, I'm the, and that's a challenge as well because you don't want to live with that kind of identity. This leads to personal attacks, intimidation, and even violence. Uh, university campuses in the last couple of dozen years have seen more violence than they have since they were created hundreds of years ago in some cases. It's quite incredible what's, what's occurring. And it's all around differences of what we believe, differences of opinion, and this us versus them. And we see it, we, I mean, this idea of bullying, which has been around forever, but this, you know, we, are, there's, we seem to have this attack mentality for those that are different, those that believe different, those that look different, all of that. And that's a huge challenge. And number four, we see in our world and in our culture, divinity or the idea of God or a creator God 
is not required for life and purpose. God does not exist, or if he does exist, he's irrelevant to my life. There is no God that defines purpose, meaning, or truth, and therefore has no impact on my life. And even, even when there are those that claim there is a God and claim to believe that there's a God, we still see this, what's called these cultural Christians, where it's like, yeah, there's a God, and I kind of, yeah, I think so. But it doesn't really impact my life in every day and in every way. And so that's a challenge. And so we have a generation that's saying no to God. And perhaps we've had generations saying no to God for a long time. But we seem nowadays, this idea of God is further and further and further away in, in culture and in our youth culture than it has ever been. Uh, and it's, it's incredible. And certainly in Canada as a country, we have moved a long way away from this idea that there's a God. And that God should have, even if he is there, should have any impact on how I live my life. So those are four things. And I mean, there's lots more. But those are four things I want to address a little bit this morning and see how scripture speaks to these things. And so we're going to do that. And again, be listening for your part in this. Parents and other adults and youth and young adults, you're going to hear your bits and your pieces as we go. So the first one is this idea of fragility, and uh, I'm going to quote some scripture here. The first one is Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Here's another one. Deuteronomy 11.18-19. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols around your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. And uh, here's, here's a couple for youth. These ones are for you. Second Timothy 1.7. For God did not give us a spear of fear, but of power, of love, and self-control. And then we have Ephesians 4, 11, uh, to 14. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of stature, the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine but, and by human cunning and by craftiness and, deceitful, and, and in deceitful schemes. That's Ephesians. So as I read this scripture, there's this idea here, especially as we think about this idea of, you know, children and youth are fragile. We have to, you know, be very careful and not let anything bad happen. There's this idea that although we obviously care about making sure that our children are not actually harmed and hurt, we also have a responsibility to see them grow and to be challenged and to be mature and ready to be fully functioning adults. And so that's, that's one of the things that calls you. And as youth, the Bible also speaks to you and says you have a responsibility because you need to grow, and you need to mature, and we see this theme throughout Scripture. So let's look at some responses. To all of us, I would say let's operate in the principle of unfragility. People are not as fragile as we may think, and we need to carefully, not recklessly, but carefully push comfort zones. Both us as young people, we need to take and push our comfort zones a little bit and try new things and do things that maybe I'm not sure about. And as parents, we need to model that as well. What are the areas in your life where you need to step out, push those comfort zones a little bit? We do what's right, not what's easy. Children and youth are not as fragile as we may think. And maturing should never stop. And here's something just to think about. All of you young people right now, as you sit there, and you're all different ages, whether you're 13 or 25, 
Do you want to be the same way you are right now as you are when you're 30? (laughs) No. I I hope you want to know more, have more experience, have more confidence. You want to, you know, be able to know more things, do more things, you know, be able to make decisions better than you can make decisions right now. Hopefully you want to hopefully be in a place where I could live by myself without my mom and dad. Like, there's all... But you don't get there by just not doing anything. Right? We're all in a process of growing and maturing. We don't get there without pushing and stretching and trying new things. All of that's important. Youth. Here's one. These are different things. Take on some responsibility. In fact... Ask your parents for some responsibility. What are you talking about? What are you... Instead of mom and dad saying, you know what, you're going to feed the pet, the family pet, when you say, you know what, I want to be responsible for the family pet. Oh, okay. And, I, and mom and dad, I want you to help me with that, like help me to be responsible. Don't help me do it. Help me be responsible to do it. Or mom and dad... Every time it snows, I'll look after the walk. I'll, I'll, I'll shovel the walk. Oh, that'd be great. I, I will take that responsibility in this family. Whoa. <laughs> right? And as we take on responsibility, we're, we're going to learn to take on the bigger responsibilities of like owning a car and a house and having a job and being in a relationship and being married and, oh, okay. You know what? Those things start with looking after the pad or... You know, feeding the fish or shoveling the walk or I don't know, whatever those things might be, but ask for some responsibility. Push, this is youth still, this is all you young adults and young people. Push yourselves to do uncomfortable things. Take chances. I love, there are some people up here. I'm sure that wasn't super easy to do the announcements and it's not super easy to stand up in front of a big crowd of people, but I applaud you for doing that. And I know it's scary, and I know you probably didn't eat this morning because you're like, "Mm," but that's okay. And the more that you push yourself, the more comfortable you are, right? And you try new things, and you learn, and you grow. Push yourselves a little bit. Do not let fear and anxiety paralyze you. Work your way through those things. I'm not saying that they're not real. I'm not saying that they don't exist, But we push our way through that. The Bible, and mom and dad, as you help youth with this, the Bible has all kinds of help in terms of take courage. We're not alone. And we need to push through it. We need to push through it. Okay, parents. Here we go. We need to be preparing, not just protecting. I'm not saying you shouldn't protect. Obviously, there's lots of things out in the world and life that we need to protect our children and youth from. But we need to be preparing them. Push your children to do what's right, not just what's easy. Sometimes it's the the youth or somebody that needs to make that phone call, not you on their behalf. And that's tough. We want it. We'll just do it for them. You know, but... That's not preparing. That's not seeing them grow. Engage your children in activities that will help them prepare them for life. Now, one of the things that helps your children is to be away from you for a time, sometimes, and to to allow them to experience some things in life in a safe environment, obviously, but to be there doing life kind of without you. Here comes the shameless plug. Yeah. You want to allow for opportunities where they can have extended time living without you. Be in a safe place that pushes their comfort boundaries. Allows them and you to see who they are without you. And then that gives you lots to talk about as you process that experience. Going on church retreats. Christian summer camp. Thank you. Leader in training programs. Gap programs, right? Bediba happens to have, I think, all those things. So if you're interested in any of that, that's the shameless plug. We're a mission partner, so I do get at least one Sunday. 
Um, you know, there is so much as parents, and just to speak as a parent, like, you know, my kids are not the way they are. My two girls are not the way they are just because of what Beth and I did. We had an enormous community around us of church and camp and all those experiences that we pushed them to go and be a part of that have made them into the adults that they are today. And as parents, you do not need to do this all by yourself. You have a church around you. You have other Christian ministries that are there. There's so much help. Don't, don't, don't not reach out for it. Some other things. Allow free play. The kids play. Let them go and, you know, obviously there's some bigger boundaries of physical safety, but let them play. Let them do some stuff. Start making your children and your youth responsible for age-appropriate skills and decisions. Start coaching, not playing the game of life for them. Teach them, don't do it for them. And let's encourage them by embracing and being healthy, great adults ourselves. One of the challenges that we see in a lot of youth culture right now in this whole adulting thing is that they look at us and go, I don't want, I don't want to do that. Because we somehow represent things that they don't want. And so how we speak about our life, how we speak about our job, how we speak about the things that we're dealing with, hopefully we're speaking about them in a way that encourages our young people to want to take on and become adults and and do all of the amazing things we get to do as adults that God's called us to do. Number two, emotional reasoning. Here we go, some scripture. Before I, but just before I give you the scripture, here's a little exercise that might be interesting for you to consider. Have you ever evaluated the decisions made by individuals in the Bible and what the result was? So think about, pick any individual and a decision where we have a story in the Bible about. Was that decision an emotionally reasoned decision that they made? Or was it a decision based on truth and obedience to God's word or what God or had called them to? And what was the result? And you think about that and you start, just, you could pick almost anybody. Pick Adam and Eve. They made a pretty major decision. Was that based in emotional reasoning or was that based in truth and what they had been called or taught or told to do? What about David? Now, David had both emotional decisions that were significantly ended poorly. He also had some, some non-emotional decisions where he made the right decision even though it was hard and felt hard and so on and so forth. You had Abraham and Sarah. Yeah, some emotional decisions there, right? Like just Moses. Think of Jonah. I don't want to go. They won't like me. It's what happened there. Right? But then we also have decisions that were made in truth. People like Joseph, that guy made some hard but right decisions. What about Esther? Esther pushed through her anxiety and her fear and stood before the king and asked for the favor of her people. And that was a massive risk, talking about pushing boundaries and doing what's right, not what's easy. Naomi, Joseph and Mary, <laughs> right? Like, how about Jesus himself? And that's one of my passages in Matthew 26, 38 to 39. Think about if this decision had gone differently. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here, keep watch with me. Going a little far further, he fell on his faith to the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but your will be done. What would have happened if Jesus made an emotional decision there? Didn't go to the cross? Because that's what he was feeling. It says right there. Incredible sorrow, right? Heart was overwhelmed. Yet he did what was right. Not what was easy. Take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. 
Corinthians 10.5. And Matthew 6.33 says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. So as we think about how we make decisions and how we understand our emotions, there's some things to be considering. Now, let me be very clear. Emotions are real. God gave us emotions. That's an important part of who we are. Absolutely. There's reasons you feel fear. There's reasons you feel the things that you feel. But we don't make decisions solely on how we feel. And so for both of us, will we seek objective truth? Will we look to the creator and his word for what is right and true? Not just how we feel, although, you know, we need to consider our feelings, absolutely, but objective truth. Now, let me just explain. Some people don't understand objectivity and subjectivity, and so this is mostly for youth, because I'm assuming most of the adults understand this. When I say objective truth, if someone is objective, they base their judgment on facts, often external to themselves, rather than just on their personal feelings. Now, the question is, where are you going to go for the facts of life? Subjectivity is when someone's judgment is shaped by personal opinions and feelings instead of outside facts and influences. Now, both of us hopefully will acknowledge and consider feelings, but always evaluate against scriptural truth. We need to evaluate our thoughts and our feelings. We need to identify them. We need to to determine if they're true and productive, and if they're not then we need to replace them with the truth of Scripture. So when you're thinking in your mind, it's like, you know what? You go to school and you have a terrible day and somebody says something nasty, and I know it's horrible and it happens. And you come home and you're on your way home on the bus or you're walking home, however you get home, and you're like, you know what? Nobody likes me. Nobody, nobody likes me. That is untrue. And what you need to do is you need to stop right there and say, whoa! That's not true. And you need to then say, say what is true. Maybe so-and-so is communicating that they don't like you. But I have an amazing family, church family, friends, a loving God who loves me. And that's what we focus on. Not the one individual who somehow we take and extrapolate onto everybody else. And we as adults got to deal with this too. We speak a lot of untruth to ourselves. And we need to stop and we need to take scripture. And sometimes you need, if you deal with particular thoughts, go and find the scripture verses that are the positive to that, what scripture really teaches as it relates to that. Memorize that scripture. And as soon as that thought starts creeping into your mind, you battle it with your memorized scripture. We see examples of Jesus doing this. Like, this is an important thing for us to do. And for a lot of us, it's a massive battle just in our minds. And so use scripture. Speak truth to yourself. You know what? It even helps for you to hear it out loud sometimes. Just say it out loud. I am loved. People like me. Yes, there's some things I need to work on, but generally, people like me. I've got a great family, and I know they are there for me. That's what you need to be focusing on, not just, nobody likes me, I suck, right? Get that out of your head. Get that out of your thoughts. Pray for the Holy Spirit to control your heart and mind and your your resulting behaviors and decisions. So that's for all of us. Now, a couple things just with youth. Commit while you're young to live a life based on seeking and living what is true. And I would challenge you to make Scripture your compass. Do we all know what a compass is? We don't use compasses very more because we all have these uh, phones with GPS in them, right, and in our cars. But a compass always points north, right? Always magnetic north. But anyways, it always points north. And if you can find the thing in your life that will always point north for you, then you know what's east, and you know what's west, and you know what's south. But you need to know what north is. And when you know what north is, you define every other direction because you know what north is. And when you know what truth is, 
Everything else in life gets defined based on that truth. So would you maybe consider committing to that? And the sooner you do that, the better. Start applying and, pardon me, start applying thinking to your decisions and your situations, not just how you feel. One of the ways you can do that, even with mom and dad, is start having discussions like, well, how was today? All this happened. And, oh, how'd that make you feel? Well, I felt this way. Okay, and how should you think about that? Next question. Oh, um, okay, well, I feel this way, but how should I think about that? Uh, that's a good, uh, hmm. Are we talking about how we should think about things, not just what we're feeling? And dialogue those things through with our kids. Parents, model living in truth, not just in feelings. We've got to show them. Don't just ask how someone is feeling. Ask about how they should be thinking. Model thinking through things and applying the truth of Scripture as we talk and teach and train our children. Model it for them. They should see you, hear you, quoting or going to Scripture as you deal with your day-to-day lives. And a lot of that's going to be principles because, you know, this doesn't deal with so-and-so bully who said something, you know, terrible on the schoolyard today. Uh, that's, there is no, that particular situation may not be in here. But the principles of how to deal with that are. And it's so great if we can teach our young people how to take the principles of Scripture and apply them to the realities that we experience each and every day. But you've got to model that for them. You've got to show them how to do that. So do that. All right, us versus them. We're halfway through. Here's the passage, Matthew 5, 43 to 45. You have heard it's, sorry, you've heard that it's, it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that your children, sorry, that you may be children of your father in heaven. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Some responses for both of us. We need to start seeing the person separate from what they believe or their opinions or whatever. Separate from the things they're doing, the sin, whatever you want to call that. There's a person there. A person that was created by God to be in relationship with him. (laughs) That's who we're talking to, arguing with, getting upset with, with. It's a person. And somehow all these other things, we need to see them as separate. They're there, they're real, but there's a person there. We need to love that person. We need to see everybody as a future brother or sister in Christ. Not the enemy, not the bet. They, they very well, and hopefully will, come to know Christ. Those, those friends of yours in school that you just struggle to love or like they might be coming to know Christ in the next couple of years and so how we interact with them and treat them and talk to them right now matters right that's for all of us give people the benefit of the doubt and seek to understand particularly what their motivations are we love to judge people seeing what they do and say and assume we know their intent and their motivations. You don't. We need to ask and seek out, where's this coming from? What's this about? And speak into that. We need to listen more than we speak. And if you want to change somebody, you want to see something in their life change, an opinion, a belief, a behavior, sarcasm, belittling, gossip, social shaming, and or combat rarely works. I love telling the story. It's like you see road rage, this idea of road rage. You know, you're driving your car and someone cuts you off and so you get upset at them. And so you just want to give them a piece of your mind. You want to yell at them. And I can just imagine that you stop your car, you roll down the window and you just yell at them, right? And just give them, give them what you're feeling right now. And I can just imagine that they go, oh, thank you so much. And they go home and they tell their spouse, oh, I cut someone off today. And they were enraged. And they called me all kinds of names and said things that I can't even repeat because the kids are in the room. And I got to tell you, I immediately wanted to change how I drive. (laughs) 
Nyeh. That's not what happens. There's something called the law of reciprocity, and it is this. What you give, in most cases, comes right back. So you're going to yell at somebody, you're going to get that back. And then beyond that, it's like, if you really want to change someone's behavior, why would you use a method that never works? You probably actually don't want to change their behavior. You're now attacking the person. And this goes back to what we're talking about, this us versus them. They made a mistake. Maybe they even did it on purpose. We're supposed to love our enemies and pray for them. (laughs) And so this us versus them, based on what people do and believe and think and opinions, we need to separate that and realize that these are people. All right. Youth. You may want to consider reframing winning at life uh, around how we love and care for others as opposed to always being right or being popular or seeing others as a means to an end. Can we see people as individuals that are loved by God and therefore we should love? And can we say life is good and we're winning at life when I love and care for others, even those that are hard to love? Youth. Be careful about how we talk about other people that are different from us. Can we separate the things that they say and do that we don't agree with from who they are as people? And we can talk about, well, that's not really maybe a great decision, but we don't, you know speak about the person as though we hate them or don't like them or think they're you know, bad or whatever. They're people that need our love and our care, even those that do things that are very wrong. Your Christian parents, here's, here's an, an us versus them. Your Christian parents, in most cases, are not against you. Now, if, just to, you know, if there's abuse or things are happening in your home that are not healthy, not good. You need to talk to someone about that. That can happen and so on. But in most cases, your, your parents are trying to do right. So this, my parents, this us and them, even against our parents, can we, can we kind of be more of a we family? Like we're trying to do this together? Can we see it that way? Parents, on that same note, can we teach the we perspective and how we think about different communities? Not creating this, oh, they're different, and so it's them versus us, and so on. Can we model to our children how we should view and talk about those who differ from us? Those that make poor decisions, those that have different approaches, different beliefs. Can we model how we talk about those people and what they believe in a way that meets and is congruent with Scripture? Teaching our kids how to think about other people. Number four. The idea that divinity is not required for purpose. Here's our scripture. This one specifically for parents. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors, worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And that was Joshua 24, 14 to 15. And one for, for everybody. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Deuteronomy 6, 5. What's our response? Young people, I get it. Living for God may seem undesirable, certainly when you compare it to a self-centered life, where I get to do whatever I want. And to be fair, all the adults struggle with that too sometimes. But life with God, although may seem easier and may give you rationale to do what you want, you need to realize that if you're going to live a life where you declare that there is no creator You've got some issues with purpose and meaning. And that's a real challenging way to live your life. 
Because you don't have a true north anymore. So what's it going to be? And how are you going to determine that? And how are you going to live your life where there is no north? There is no clear understanding of what's right or wrong or what's truth or what's not. This idea of living without our creator God is fraught with all kinds of issues. On the surface, it seems great. I can do whatever I want. But when you start to dig a little deeper, a life without understanding purpose and meaning and truth and love, it's really no way to live at all. In fact, to me, that's a harder way to live life and a dangerous way to live life and an unhealthy way to live life compared to choosing that there is a creator God that loves us, gives us purpose and meaning, sets out truth. And so my challenge to you is that you choose God. Make God and his word your true north. You get purpose and meaning early in life. That's phenomenal. Don't wait. Don't wait till you're 30, 40, 50. I mean, God can redeem at any age, absolutely. But if you start now, that's amazing. Living your life with an understanding of truth and purpose and meaning, man, that's huge. Despite what the world says, despite what the world offers, despite what's going on, choose God. Parents, the greatest impact on children and youth, determining on whether they will follow Christ, is authentic lordship lived out on the part of parents that's from another another book a study done years ago called hemorrhaging faith and that study tried to understand why do we see so many 20 somethings walking away from the church their number one thing that they determined as they interviewed all of these people is that it was spoken but it wasn't lived We went to church, but it didn't impact the rest of life. And mom, dad, grandparents, other people in our communities, we have a, we we are not, we're not the people that save, absolutely not, but we play a role in redeeming our young people back or to God. And so how we live is important. And we need to live authentic lordship lives. Young adults are determining to see if all of this that we see on Sunday and we talk about and we recite in scriptures and we sing in all these songs, if it is actually true. Is it true? Is it real? And they're watching. Are we pointing them to Christ in all that we're doing? From how we buy a car to how we deal with someone who cuts us off, to how we behave while we're standing in the checkout line. It all counts. They're always, you're always watching, right? You're watching. You're listening. You're seeing what's going on. One of the challenges in terms of culture that we've had in the last, uh, well, little bit, certainly in the last few years to a dozen years, um, are a couple things I'll bring up. And these are things you may need to talk about with your youth or young adult. How the church worked through and handled COVID-19 has had a major impact on those viewing us or seeing us and how we dealt with that, both with outsiders like health authorities and so on and so forth, and how we dealt with ourselves in here. And it has had some fairly negative repercussions. People were looking to the church for, okay, here's a massive issue in our society. How does the church respond? And in some cases, I'm not saying here, but in some cases that response was not great. may need to talk about that with our kids. Most of you are familiar with the residential school issue in this country. Most of our younger people, they may not understand that, but certainly for our later teens and in the 20s, young adults, this is, this is a real deal. And it is, it is a huge issue that they're trying, to, they're trying to draw lines between, wait a minute, 
This was sort of a church thing, and this is what happened. Wait a minute. We may need to talk about that. We need to process that. How we handle cultural issues that we disagree with in our society as a church. We have to, we have to okay, how does this work? How do, we, how do we understand that? Sadly, in the last not even that many years, we've had a number of major public Christian leaders who have fallen from grace, if we can say that. They have made mistakes. Again, this goes back to us versus them. Make sure we realize they are people who we still need to love and care for, not speak harm about. But yes, they've done some deplorable, in some cases, and horrible things. How do we, how do we draw lines? How do we connect that for young people and young adults? Some people who have preached most of their lives who now create, work found in behaviors that are completely anti-scripture. How do we, we got to talk about that stuff because they're going, how is this real when so-and-so? You can't ignore those things. We need to talk about those things. How do we frame this? How do we understand this? How do we work through this as a family, as individuals? And finally, God should be the center of all of our lives, but as adults... We need to think about this through, that God is at the center of everything we do in our lives. Our purpose, our priorities, our decisions, and who we depend on. And ultimately, our children and our young adults are going to see that. And hopefully, we will point them to Christ and not cause them to want to walk away. So, lots there for you to think about. And let me just close in prayer, and then we've got to get another song or something, I think, coming. So, Father, there's a lot here this morning, and we realize that there's a lot going on in our, in our lives, in our culture, with our young people, with our young adults. And, Father, um, we just pray that you would help us to understand this, to work through it, to make scripturally informed decisions on how to deal with it, how to raise our children, for the young people here, how we should live our lives, and how we should also be getting ready to live our lives as adults. And so, Father, we just pray that you would help us in all of this. Father, I pray that for everyone here, we would commit to making you our Lord and Savior, and your word our true north. And so we commit that to you this morning. I pray that that would be the case, that you would stir in people's hearts. And Father, if there's just one thing that everybody here takes away, that would be great. And so we commit that to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.